In our study of Mark's gospel, we've reached the point where Jesus' ministry is exploding in popularity. In fact, he's become so popular that the demands on his time have actually limited his being able to do what he really wanted and needed to do. This morning, however, we see him crossing the line of political correctness. He uses an offensive and derogatory term to refer to someone that would have certainly brought his ascending career to an inglorious end if he had said something equally offensive today. To set the scene, we must remember how little the Jews thought of the Gentiles. The Jews were well aware of the fact that they were God's chosen people. What they forgot was that God chose them through Abraham, their father, to be a blessing to all nations, and that through the seed of Abraham, all peoples would one day be given the opportunity to become heirs of Abraham according to promise. They focused more on their privilege as God's chosen people than their responsibility and came to view their status as chosen in a way that excluded everyone else and reduced them to unwanted, unclean, and even less than human. By the time of Jesus, the Jews had in fact come to consider Gentiles as dogs. They openly compared them to the mongrel street dogs that roamed the cities and ate garbage. And shockingly, in our text for today, we're actually going to find Jesus referring to a Gentile woman as a dog. Let's get right to it. Mark 7, 24. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre. And when he'd entered a house, he wanted no one to know of it, yet he could not escape notice. But after hearing of him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately came and fell at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile of Syrophoenician race. And she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he was saying to her, let the children be satisfied first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered and said to him, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table feed on the children's crumbs. And he said to her, Because of this answer, go your way. The demon has gone out of your daughter. And going back to her home, she found the child lying on the bed, the demon having departed. Jesus and the disciples have once again left Galilee to get away from the crowds and be able to spend some time alone. Rather than travel to the east of Galilee. This time they traveled some 40 miles northwest of Galilee to the Mediterranean coast city of Tyre in modern-day Lebanon. Now, Tyre was a proud, historic Canaanite city. In David's time, it had been friendly to Israel. 
but later became known for its wickedness, Jezebel actually being the daughter of a king of Tyre. In fact, in Ezekiel 28, a lamentation against the king of Tyre is thought by most scholars to be a description of the fall of Satan himself. Anyway, Jesus and his disciples traveled here in the hopes of avoiding the crowds that dogged their steps everywhere they went in Galilee. When they arrived, they found a house, most likely the home of a Jewish businessman living in this Gentile city and stayed there, hoping no one would know who they were or notice they were in town. But Jesus' reputation had arrived in town before he did. And a woman who had a demon-possessed daughter sought him out. Now, Mark actually says she was a Greek of the Syrophoenician race, but she couldn't be both Greek and Phoenician. So most translators take the reference to her being Greek to indicate that she was a Greek-speaking Gentile. Matthew calls her a Canaanite. The bottom line is that she was not Jewish. Mark says she kept asking Jesus to cast the demon out of her daughter. Matthew says she began crying out, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. But Jesus ignored her. Finally, the disciples came to him and said, Send her away, for she's shouting out after us, as if he couldn't hear it. He responded by saying to them, and perhaps to her as well, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she fell at his feet and kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter anyway. He then said something to her that sounds terribly offensive. Let the children be satisfied first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now, we should note that the word Jesus uses for dogs here is not the word Jews used to refer to mongrel scavenger dogs that roamed the city streets. It was a word that referred to a household pet, but it's still a dog. Had she been thin-skinned, she would have taken offense and left in a huff. But fortunately, she wasn't, and she didn't. Whether Jesus smiled when he said it or glanced at the disciples who had wanted him to send her away, indicating that they thought she was nothing more than a Gentile dog, she responded in a way that impressed Jesus. She said, yes, Lord. And this is the only place in Mark's gospel where anyone addressed Jesus as Lord. Yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table feed on the children's crumbs. She wasn't wanting to take anything away from God's chosen children. She just wanted a crumb that might fall from their table and go to waste. Jesus responded by saying, because of this answer, go your way. The demon has gone out 
of your daughter. And she believed him. She left in faith and found her daughter had been delivered. Jesus was feeding the dogs. And it wouldn't be long before the cat would be let out of the bag. (laughs) Reading on. And again he went out from the region of Tyre and came through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee within the region of Decapolis. And they brought to him one who was deaf and spoke with difficulty. And they entreated him to lay his hand upon him. And he took him aside from the multitude by himself and put his fingers into his ears. And after spitting, he touched his tongue with a saliva. And looking up to heaven with a deep sigh, he said to him, Ephaphatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened. And the impediment of his tongue was removed. And he began speaking plainly. And he gave them orders not to tell anyone. But the more he ordered them, the more widely they continued to proclaim it. And they were utterly astonished, saying, He has done all things well. He makes even the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak. After leaving Tyre, Jesus traveled further north up to Sidon, another Phoenician seaport. And then east and south to the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee into the region known as Decapolis, or Ten Cities. Mark doesn't indicate the time element involved, but best estimates are that Jesus spent close to eight months on this trip with the disciples, taking time, no doubt, to teach them and to prepare them for the ministry that would one day be theirs in his absence. These eight months were spent in Gentile country. You know, we often miss the fact that Jesus spent nearly one-third of his ministry in Gentile territory. His primary purpose during those three years was to call the lost sheep of Israel to repentance and to prepare the disciples, but he didn't ignore Gentile needs when brought face-to-face with them. And a need was brought to his attention on this trip. A man who was deaf and therefore unable to speak clearly because he couldn't hear himself was brought to him. No doubt others were brought as well because Mark indicates the presence of a multitude. Now, the last time Jesus was in this area, he had cast demons out of the Gadarene demoniac. And the demoniac had asked that that, uh, he accompany Jesus after everyone in town told Jesus to leave because the demons had entered into the pigs. The man wanted to stay with Jesus, but Jesus said, said no, no. And then contrary to his practice in areas where he was well known, Jesus told the man to tell others what he had done for him, and apparently he had done so. And the multitude was the result of of his sharing his experience with Jesus. So it's a multitude. And noting the presence of a multitude, Mark then zeroes in on just one healing that took place. The healing of a deaf man. And the way Jesus handled it is very sensitive and very beautiful. Beautiful. 
He took the man away from the crowd, I think for a little privacy, and communicated with him in a type of sign language. He put his fingers into the man's ears, indicating he was going to do something about his hearing, and then he spit and touched the man's tongue. Now, the text doesn't actually say he touched the man's tongue with the saliva. The italics in the New American Standard Bible indicate those words were added by the translator, but, but he may have. Saliva does have healing properties. We've all seen a dog licking a wound. But Jesus may have just spit, sticking out his tongue in the process to get the man to stick his tongue out. And then Jesus reached up and touched it. Then looking to heaven, indicating the source of the miracle that was about to take place, he sighed deeply, visibly demonstrating the intensity of prayer and said, be open. Immediately, the man's ears were opened, and no longer did he speak with difficulty. Now, the word translated speak with difficulty is used only here in the New Testament, and only once in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament. In Isaiah 35, the prophet speaks of a time when God would come and the eyes of the blind would be opened, the ears of the deaf would be unstopped, the lame would leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb would shout for joy. And the word translated dumb is the word we find Mark using here. I think Mark intentionally tried to make a connection with Isaiah's prophecy for our sake. The Gentiles wouldn't have known about the prophecy. But they were utterly astonished by what they saw. And then Mark used another unusual word. The word translated utterly astonished. It's found nowhere else in Greek literature. And it means beyond measure. In the excess. In other words, the people were flabbergasted. But Jesus told them to tell no one what had happened. They, however, let the cat out of the bag, and the multitude grew into a great multitude. In those days, again, when there was a great multitude, and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples and said to them, I feel compassion for the multitude because they have remained with me three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from a distance. And his disciples answered him, Where will anyone be able to find enough to satisfy these men with bread here in this desolate place? And he was asking them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven. And he directed the multitude to sit down on the ground. And taking the seven loaves, he gave thanks and broke them and started giving them to his disciples to serve to them. And they served them to the multitude. They also had a few small fish. And after he had blessed them, he ordered these to be served as well. And they ate and were satisfied. And they picked up seven large baskets full of what was left over of the broken pieces. And about 4,000 were there, and he sent them away. And immediately he entered the boat with his disciples and came to the district 
of Dalmanutha. Does that sound familiar? It should. We've already read of Jesus miraculously feeding a great multitude back in chapter 6. Critical scholars suggest Mark is simply telling the same story a second time. But there are significant differences in the two accounts, making it very obvious to anyone not blinded by critical presuppositions that Jesus fed a multitude on two separate occasions and for good reason. In chapter 6, the people had been with Jesus one day. Here, they've been with him three days. Matthew indicates during those three days, Jesus had been healing the lame, the crippled, the blind, the dumb, and many others. And neither Matthew nor Mark say anything about Jesus' teaching in addition to healing, as Mark said he had been doing on the other occasion. This time, Jesus is the first to express concern about the hungry multitude. Last time, it was the disciples who were concerned. Last time, the disciples wanted Jesus to send the people into the surrounding cities to buy food. This time, they had no idea where they could find food. Last time, the disciples found five loaves and two fish. This time, seven loaves and a few fish. Last time, the men were told to sit in groups of hundreds and fifties. This time, they're merely told to sit down. Last time, there were 12 lunch baskets of leftovers. This time, seven large hamper baskets. Last time, there were 5,000 men plus women and children. This time, 4,000 men plus women and children. And last time, Jesus sent the disciples away in a boat without him. This time, he left with them. The most significant difference, however, is the location where the feeding takes place. The first time it took place on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee in Jewish territory. This time it took place on the eastern shore in Gentile territory. Last time he was feeding the children. This time he was feeding the dogs. The descendants of the seven Gentile nations Joshua had driven out of the promised land in to the Decapolis. Seven nations, seven loaves, seven baskets. Do you think Jesus was trying to make a point? Without a doubt. Just as the Holy Spirit duplicated the events of Pentecost for Cornelius' household to make sure the apostles understood the gospel message was for all people, so Jesus duplicated the feeding of a multitude to make it clear that he is the bread of life come down from heaven for everyone. 
no matter who you are, and no matter what others may think of you, you are welcome to dine with Jesus. If you've not said yes to his invitation, now is the time to come. Let's stand.